I'm Duncan McNichol. And I'm Dominic Norberg. And this is an episode of Not Exactly Rocket Science. Our podcast where we talk to people who know things that we don't. And uh, today we're here in Glasgow to talk to Kate O'Donnell, who I'm almost certain knows things we don't. Um, she's a professor here uh, at the University of Glasgow. But, I mean, we should let her introduce herself. Okay, so uh, my name is Professor Kate O'Donnell. Mm -hmm. Um, Professor of Primary Care Research and Development uh, here in um, the Institute of Health and Wellbeing and I'm based within General Practice and Primary Care which is one of the component parts of, of the Institute um, and I'm also, um, as of last month, a Deputy Director of the Institute. Oh, so okay. um, just crazy. as we, we prepare to um, move from being scattered across nine different sites, we hope in the next two and a half to three years we'll be moving into a new building down on the Western Campus. So, Professor of Primary Care something development. Research and development. Research and yes. development. Um, so, what, so, primary care is, is I, I, this is maybe naive of me, but I think GP, is that? Yes, yeah. that is, that's certainly part of it. Um, I mean, I guess if you, if you get nerdy, then there's you know, lots of different definitions of primary care. I think particularly in the UK, when we say primary care, we first and foremost think about GPs, general practitioners, their practice team, nurses, admin, etc. Um, I suppose I think more around things like the World Health Organization kind of definition, okay. so wider than that. So really thinking about a lot of the sort of community-based type services that, that you would get essentially out with hospitals. So right. that can take in a whole range of different healthcare professionals, so it might be pharmacists, it might be allied health professionals. Um, so, you know, it's just, just there's a much sort of wider range that you can think about in terms of both um, the healthcare professionals and also the services that are being offered. Um, but certainly within many healthcare systems, particularly in high-income countries, a sort of family doctor would kind of be thought of as the centre of all of that and then the other services working around those Right. And and so if you're in primary care research and development, then that's looking at ways that that, that care can be provided in a more efficient way or more effective way? Or Yes. I mean, I, I suppose what I've developed um, over um, the, the, the many years I've now been uh, in post, I've probably got two broad strands of research. So one is around looking at evaluating um new policies into practice. So uh, thinking of the Scottish setting, I've been involved at various points um, over my research career in looking at the organisation of out-of-hours primary care. So the care that's provided when general practices are closed, so evenings, weekends, public holidays. Um, and there's been quite a lot of changes in that over the years. So I've been involved in kind of looking at some of that and some of that evaluation. Um, I was also involved in evaluating NHS 24 when it first was developed and, and set up. That's the helpline? It is, yes. Yeah, that's the yeah. telephone sort of triage consultation line, um, which has developed a lot since it first started. Um, but I was again involved in, in the evaluation of that. And more recently, for example, I've also been involved in some work um, from Scottish Government, funded through the Scottish School of Primary Care, where we have looked at the ways in which different health boards are using funds to develop new models of primary care. So things like um, sort of changing first point of contact from going to your GP if you've got eye problems to going to see optometrists 
or for minor conditions, again, rather than going to the GP, going to see a pharmacist uh, on the high street. So new ways of developing that and new ways of working. So that, that's kind of one strand of work. And the other strand, which um, runs kind of in parallel, but it's complementary, is around um, health and healthcare use and access for essentially for, for vulnerable or marginalised populations. So I've done some work, for example, around um, people who, in areas of socioeconomic deprivation, which particularly in the west of Scotland is, is an mm. issue. Um, but my main focus has been around healthcare for asylum seekers and refugees. Okay. And I've done a range of, of work over the past 10 years or, or, or so. One of the things that I find... That I, it's not that I find interesting that I don't that I don't understand. I mean, this is a podcast about things that we don't understand. One of the things that I don't I don't think I, I really understand is when you when you evaluate you know policy when you when you say hmm. that you're evaluating NHS twenty four how how do you go about that? Are you like are you looking at specific outcomes? Are you looking for certain things to 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 happen? Or? <sighs> well. It's yeah. There are quite a lot of challenges around that kind of work because um, obviously, and, and you might well have podcasts with people who are involved in randomised control trials, for example, mm-hmm. where you're testing out you know the effectiveness of, of a new way of working, perhaps or a new compound, a new drug, um, and there you you can work as a research team to try and control a lot of the the kind of biases as, as much as possible and, and kind of try to to sort of rule out some of the variation. Um, when you're involved in evaluation of these kinds of approaches and rollouts of new services, a lot of that is really out with your control. So the methods that that um, I use and I work with colleagues a lot around those are mixed methods. So you would look, for example, to see if there is data that you can collect from the service and um, what are the kinds of outcomes that the service is, is aiming to um, impact on. Um, so can you collect data around that to see if you see any change, perhaps in use, in document who's using services, how they're using services. Um, if you're, for example, if the service is setting out to perhaps reduce the number of people going to GPs, can you collect any data on that? The difficulty often is that you don't have anything to control it with. So mm. you don't have, mm. you might try and find an area where you don't have the service and to see if that is an is if if there's a difference between the two areas, um, or you might try and do some work looking before the service was implemented, and then maybe after the service was implemented. These data are often quite messy and difficult to control, um, so you have quite a lot of kind of assumptions that you then have to to build into that. The other thing, um, and the the approach you use a lot is um, you're using much more qualitative methods, so. Um, documentary analysis often policy analysis to try and map what was intended when a new service mm-hmm. was being set up and how does that actually work um, and then through interviews with um, stakeholders within the service possibly wider as well trying to um, work out what might be happening and why it might be happening to think about the influence of context um, very much on, on the kinds of um, impacts that you might be seeing. If those policies obviously come from the government, mm. um, do they that they are the people then that also commission the evaluations um, that you do then? 
Yes, quite a lot of the work that I've been involved in, it's been Scottish government that have wanted to learn from what, what's actually happening. So they, they commissioned the evaluation. Do you find that yeah. challenging? Because like challenging in terms of you come from a medical perspective and the methods seem, to me, they sound very similar to what we've heard from social sciences mm. in terms of um, how to get data and always just having to live with it being messy data mm. pretty much always. Um, but if you talk to people who are in a completely different profession and have a different mindset and a different background and their day-to-day life is completely different to what uh, yours would be or to someone who um, works in a lab, for example, like, do you get each other easily? It's a, it's a big challenge and also the really enjoyable thing about multidisciplinary working um, that sometimes people don't get each other. I suppose um, for me, one of the things is that I actually trained and came from a wet lab environment. So um, my initial degree, my PhD were in immunology and I worked as a postdoc in immunology in lab and then took this a 90 degree turn through public health to end up where I am at the moment um, and so I think I've always been really pragmatic about the sort of approaches that you use so a lot of what I, I use now are social science methods and I'm probably closer to social sciences certainly than where I, I started out in terms of uh, a wet lab environment um, so I, th- I think for these sorts of things, uh, these types of evaluations, you do have to be quite pragmatic about it. So it's not to say that you can't have rigour in what you do. Um, you certainly can, and you can be thinking about the, the work that you're doing and for it to try to be as, as robust as possible in terms of, of the learning. But I think you also learn to live with some of these um, challenges that, you know, particularly with policy evaluations, you're often in the process of evaluating the first wave when governments who work to different timescales are kind of continuing to roll things out. Mm. Do you have an example of, I mean, maybe that's much too big, like of a, of a policy that you, that was implemented and then you then started looking at those, at those, fig- at those figures or at those indicators? Well, I suppose you know, with the likes of NHS 24, now, when we did this, this was back in 2003, 2004. So it has developed, it has changed very much now. But we we were involved um, quite closely from the beginning with that, with that. So we would go to quite a lot of their meetings um, just to observe the development of it. What were they thinking about? What were the kinds of issues and challenges that were coming up for and the organisation and for those working with the organisation. Um, and then we were also um, able to get data on call numbers and types of calls, who were calling and when and, and where they were going. So then mapping what was happen- happening with the calls against what the organisation had set up in terms of what it wanted as, as key performance indicators. I suppose it was slightly NHS 24, when it was set up, it was a special health board. Um, there was a lot of, sort of external consultants involved in it, so it had very clear frameworks and targets that it was aiming to hit. Um, and in those days, not all of those targets were hit at the, the, the start, and we were sort of using the data to try and, and, and sort of unpick what was going on and why some of that was happening. 
So we were able to then use the, the um, activity data to see where calls were going and compare that to where they had wanted um, you know, their, their starting point had been. And also then we were able to, within that, also observe and monitor the changes that the organisation were then putting in place themselves in order to, to meet these kind of targets that they had set. And so we were able to map quite a lot of that. And you again, you're then sort of mapping some of that to, to what the, the higher level policies might be saying or often are not saying. So one of the things that I uh, struggle with a bit in my re- research, so I'm, I do fundamental uh, optics and, and photonics, um, is that uh, in terms of the impact that my research is going to have, if it mm. has any at all, it will have an impact in 20 years. Um, and it's, it's very far out. And, and sometimes that could be a, a bit difficult because, you know, I, you know, if you're used to making a, a different, you know, not, not making a difference, but if you're used to seeing the results of what you do very yes. quickly, then that could be quite different. And I'm just wondering how, how much can you see the results of the research that you've done in, in, I guess, policies and, and in the way that the systems change? Yes. And maybe can I add that if you, how much can you see the outcomes of, of the, the results? But also, how much do other people see those results? Because mm. that goes hand in hand with it. Mm. Like, if they are then people who, it's like, what are you doing in this room? Why, why are we evaluate? Like, is it, does that, if, if that's a challenge then as well? Well, it but can yeah. be, yes. Because I think, I think sometimes, um, people are not sure what the value is of, of the evaluation of, of these sorts of changes. And I think it is up to us often, um, as, as, the sort of academic, the university-based researchers, to try and um, show them the value of having that kind of independent, rigorous sort of mm. view that you can get um, from um, coming to an academic institution, as opposed to you know there are lots of you know, sort of small organisations that'll do very quick evaluation. Um, so, so I think it's trying to show them what the added value is. And I guess it's partly trying to show them that you can actually start to get that bigger picture in terms mm-hmm. of the approaches that, that you use and the way that you're feeding um, back your findings. Um, but also I think we, you know, we have to think at times about doing things that are, are fast enough and timely enough for um, organisations, government, etc., to be able to use those that work as well. So we did some of that when I did some um, work uh, when Scottish Government again commissioned um, a group uh, to look at the bigger issues of out-of-hours care in Scotland and we were this kind of subcontract almost of that, um, looking at the literature around what was known about um, out-of-hours care and what could we learn from the literature and actually using that to to take back to the organisation or to the, the, the working group who were... Um, leading that and writing the, the, the report for Scottish Government and saying to them, well, you know, that there's lots of work being done in terms of evaluating services, looking at data, um, and there's some work around safety, but actually there's nothing about new models, for example, using pharmacists, because mm. pharmacists were seen as being a really important new professional group. Um, and they were looking to see, well, what does the research literature tell us about pharmacy and how you might use pharmacy and what the outcomes are? And we were able to come back and say, well, actually, it tells you nothing because there hasn't been any work yeah. done in this area. So, um, or, you know, looking at um, 
issues around different patient groups who might use out-of-hours care. And again, to come back and say, well, there's not a lot there. What, what evidence is there focuses around cancer care and particularly sort of end-of-life care. Um, but there's really nothing around sort of you know, caring for people with multiple morbidity in an out-of-hours setting or dementia. Mm. Um, there's very little there about um, you know the impact and how you know, people whose uh, language, first language is not English, might use the service. Um, so, so again, we were able to use the research in, in that sort of way, and that then had, I think, impact in terms of um, those who were writing the report and thinking about what they had to do, knowing that actually they needed to think about generating their own evidence. So I think those are some of the ways that you start to see how it has impact and how it might be used. So... This is going back a wee bit, but you, you hinted earlier that you'd um, you'd started in immunology, mm. um, and then and then uh, now you, now you're doing this, and just how did that come? How did that come about? You know, what what drove that that sort of? Because it is quite a change of pace and quite a change is, of field. Yes, um, and yeah, I was just wondering what the. Um, well, I suppose I, I'd originally gone in to do immunology um, because I. Thought I wanted to do medicine, and then I flunked my hires, as I have said to many people. Um, so, so I did science and thought, oh, I might go into medicine after that. But got into immunology at a really sort of exciting time mm. for for that field. Studied here in Glasgow, really enjoyed it. Um, and I think at that stage, it might have changed now, but there was also a bit of a conveyor belt. You know, if you did yeah. whatever your undergraduate degree was, you kind of just kept going in that. Um, so, so as they did. Knew I wanted to stay in science, um, so did my PhD because also that was the kind of first step, um, and then postdoc for a while. I think it just gradually there were there were two things. One, I think I wasn't always entirely um, comfortable or successful in the lab environment in terms of setting up experiments, etc. Um, but also a bit like you said yourself, actually, the sort of impact seemed really yeah. far down the line. Um, you know, I was working do, with, with a team who were looking at nitric oxide and you know, its impact and parasite killing and things. Um, but it just struggled to see when you would start to see kind of impacts of that. Um, and so just a sort of gradual realisation that this this wasn't the field of science for me, um, but not being entirely sure where I did want to, mm. to go. Um, and I enjoyed science writing um, and thought about that, but at that point was kind of committed to staying in Glasgow. Um, and then a job came up to um, coordinate a health services research network for the west of Scotland. Um, and that was co-located between the Department of Public Health and General Practice, um, as it was then. Um, so I applied for that. Wasn't entirely sure what health services research was, but did some reading up and got you know, a sort of reasonable idea um, and was lucky enough to get the job. So when I did that, I then also, um, as well as, as you, you worked closely, really it was partly, there were two roles. One was to support um, healthcare practitioners who might want to start doing some research and weren't very sure where to start. And the other thing was acting almost as a knowledge broker. And so bringing together researchers and and a lot of them were sort of community-based scientists um, or sort of social scientists and bringing them together with people in the NHS. So again, knowledge sharing. Um, 
And I just, you know, that I really enjoyed. I did my Master of Public Health then. And, and, and bringing them together, you mean like, did you... Did you drive around like a sales rep? And <laughs> yeah, well, we, through through lots of, of small meetings. So meetings would often be sort of structured around a particular issue, like you know what's new in stroke care, or um, you know providing services, mental health services, those kinds of things. So they were they were very kind of topic focused, and you bring people together. Um, and you just call them up and say, "Hey, I'm setting something up." Are you yes, we, we had a very good network at that point in terms of people who were supporters of the, the Health Services Research Networks. It was an initiative funded through the Chief Scientist Office in Scotland at that point. Um, so I did that for two and a half years, um, got my master's in the process, uh, and then the funding um, was pulled for that. Um, and then that, that's when there was a lectureship uh, okay. come up here. So partly to kind of build on, on some of that work that I'd been doing. Um, so I got that and that then there was a period of sort of reinventing myself and deciding what kind of research that I was interested in. Um, and it was this sort of evaluation type research that started first. Um, and then from there, um, I also sort of moved into what's become you know, the other main strand mm. in terms of migrant health research. So what, what would be like the biggest... Issues then, they're probably simpler um, than we think. Who do I start with with some <laughs> of those things? Um, so, well, I suppose the initial work that that I got involved in actually stemmed from my interest in out of hours care, um, and it was around the time where there were lots of asylum seekers and refugees um, coming to Glasgow because Glasgow is a dispersal point for the Home Office. And I was sitting in a meeting, kind of listening to somebody talk about you know, using NHS 24 and thinking, how do you use something like that if you um, haven't ever actually been in a country that has like primary care like mm. we have in the UK? How do you know about it? How do you navigate your way around that? And so from that, this sort of started, uh, got some funding and, and did some work um, with interviews with asylum seekers and refugees in Glasgow about their views of healthcare. Um, and that was we, we had two projects that ran one after the other around that. So that was a kind of starting point of, of that work and finding that people, um, while they, they liked the NHS and you know, they were often um, you know, very grateful for the, the, the sort of treatment that they were getting, etc., um, also found you know, there were some real issues about how they accessed care and some of the, the, the things that are problematic and I think are all still problematic for people is coming from healthcare systems that are very hospital-based mm. or from healthcare systems that because of their you know, ethnicity or whatever reason that they've then fled their country, they haven't been able to access healthcare. Um, so they often came to a system of primary care that they didn't really understand and didn't really understand the role of a GP. Um, appointment systems are often seen as, as difficult because they sort of expect or you know, the, the, the fact that they're worried about symptoms or about illness now, but they've got to wait for however many days to be seen. Um, there were issues around language barriers, particularly then because um, they were just setting up an interpreting service. It, it is also, it's a political issue as well, in a way that, you know, other things might not be, you know, if I was focusing on healthcare for people with diabetes, for mm. example, um, uh, you, you 
you don't get that degree of kind of political tension. There's, there's, there's probably not quite such a kind of um, debating moment if your taxi driver says, so what do you do? Or you, <laughs> you meet somebody and first time you're out somewhere, what do you do? Well, I work in migrant health. Yeah, and, and so, so, so I think I think there is there is a political element to it and a, a political dimension to it that um, I probably hadn't fully thought through when I was I was getting involved in in the early stages. That's not to say I would do anything different because I think it is really important. I also think that one of the things that it, it does, and again, we've you know, had some discussions with colleagues about this, is it actually flags up cracks in the system that affect everyone. Mm. So your issues about you know waiting times, for example, or um, you know just you know, expectations of healthcare, etc., and, and having those met. As I say, I think I think there are there are issues which if I put a group of, of you know, Glaswegians in a room yeah. and got them talking about access to healthcare, a lot of those things would come up as well. So the the flag wider cracks in, in systems I think affect everyone, and yeah. so I'm quite keen in that idea of that you think through what are the commonalities for people rather than what are the differences. Um, and I think that certainly comes together when you start thinking about, you know, sort of asylum seekers and refugees, homeless, um, people who are, um, you know, sort of in, in severe economic disadvantage. Those, those, you know, so there are, there are groups there that some elements will be different. Language, culture, Issues might be greater for for some groups than others, but there's a lot of similarities yeah. there as well that we can bring together. There's some um, there's something really interesting there in in um, so this is a thing that I've seen talked about in terms of design, which is obviously a million miles away from this, mm. but um, uh, that is referred to by some designers as curb cuts. So it, it's an analogy um, based on the the idea that those uh, lowered parts of curbs that are there for wheelchair users that's why they exist. But if you are dragging a wheelie suitcase with you, then you're really glad to see a curb cut. Yes. You know? yeah. And it's that kind of thing of some people will say that designing for, you know, accessibility or for smaller groups is, is not worth as much of your time as designing for the majority. Mm. But actually by doing so, you, you find these things that actually help everybody. And yes. it feels like you're doing yes. the same thing, but in healthcare, I think, which I is... I think so, yeah. So my, my understanding of what, what you research is um, is that you have sort of uh, two broad things. So you work in um, primary care research um, and you look at uh, the evaluation of various uh, primary care policies. So um, especially new things. Um, so NHS 24 came up, but also this idea of, of having um, different uh, practitioner bringing different practitioners into that primary care sphere so pharmacists or optometrists or podiatrists um and um and so you you evaluate those things um which sounds like it's quite tricky but you know involves some qualitative some quantitative uh research and one of the interesting things i think uh that i heard was that um these as people are coming up with these new policies they're now starting to think about how they can gather data from the policy that can then help them to to be evaluated which sounds like a really great development um and the other uh, aspect of your research is is in migrant health and and how um how that's sort of coming into the country um from another culture and with another language and and that sort of thing can can present barriers and, and what we can do about that and how we can sort of broaden access um and make sure that um or try to make sure that uh people who aren't familiar with the system can use it um in the way that it was designed um or in some cases 
slightly redesign the system to everyone's benefit. Yeah. Um, does that sound... That, that sounds a good summary. Impressive. Thank you. <laughs> well, that was interesting. I nodded. I, I keep forgetting that. That's a microphone, not a camera. Yeah. yeah Duncan sadly. said that was interesting. I nodded. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we've really spoken to someone who does uh, anything like what Kate does. I was also struck by the fact that she spent her career in Glasgow, um, especially given that I was reading recently about how uh, academics need to move around to... to get good at what they do and it seems like maybe they don't <laughs> do, you, do you think it's maybe like like um looking at things from the wrong end and thinking oh all the successful academics that we have here all moved around for a while so or well most of them or many of them so to have a successful academic career you have to move around yeah and you're kind of explaining something but like there's a correlation there's a causation no there's a yeah, do you there's say a cor- there's, there's a correlation, correlation, but you're mixing up the causation? Yeah, I think yeah. That, I think that might be exactly what it is, um, and I think yeah. Kate's good counter evidence. Um, uh, yeah. Also, Karen Fords. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, uh, so plenty of interesting stuff. Um, I'm going to be thinking about that the next few times I go to see a doctor. I'm sure, or uh, optometrist, or whatever, whoever it is that I see instead of a doctor. Um, and I'll try to take into account that whenever I read about migrants in the newspapers, well, first of all, I guess I have to identify with being a migrant myself. Yep. Um, but also, yeah, you see the statistics, you see the numbers, but actually there are always stories behind those things. And it's the small things that catch you out and Absolutely. the small things that um, big policies don't plan for. Yeah, yeah. That's why we need people like Kate. Um, you're nodding again. I'm nodding again, yeah. 